Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Dr. Carl Pillemer, an internationally recognized family sociologist and professor of human development at Cornell University. Dr. Pillemer is the author of Fault Lines, Fractured Families, and How to Mend Them. And he's also written the best-selling book, 30 Lessons for Living and 30 Lessons for Loving. He's done a lot of research looking at why family members cut off communication with each other. He's also discovered what we can do to fix it, and he has some great tips on what we can do to avoid it before it begins. Today, we're going to talk about what parents sometimes do that causes kids to shut down, to say, I'm done with this, I don't even want to hear from you anymore, why kids sometimes cut off contact from their parents, and we're also going to look at what you can do as a parent to keep your relationship strong and to make sure that this doesn't happen to you. Really excited to talk about all of that and more. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show today. The book is Fault Lines, Fractured Families, and How to Mend Them. And it is all about this research that you did. You surveyed over 1,600 people and did all kinds of interviews to study estrangement and why people cut off their family members and what goes right in families that are able to mend and come back together again. And there's some really, really fascinating work that you've done and some uh, really insightful tips in here, I think, for all kinds of families. So talk to me about where this came from and what you know inspired you to get into this. Well, sure. Well, thanks. And thanks for having me on. It's great to be on a podcast that is really focused on teens. A lot of the work I did in this book really relates to families as a whole, but I will say there was a component that involved interviewing around three or four dozen college students, uh, um, a number of whom were still in their teens, and they also reported how estrangement affected their families when they were younger teens. So I think there is some of the work that my colleagues and I did that really does relate specifically to your audience, but... We also learned in this study, and I'll give a preview, that kids can often be collateral damage, as I call them in the book, to a family estrangement. So people, you know, need to think very broadly about the whole system when it comes to rifts, because there are not only those people who are directly involved, but there are also some people who are silent victims. And that can certainly be teenage kids in a family. So I think it is, you know, at first when you invited me on this uh, show, Andy, it it got me thinking, all right, how does it really relate to this particular work? And I think it really does. I'll say, yeah, we, you know, I began maybe um, five or six years ago. I've spent a lot of my life 
uh, studying, or at least a lot of my work life, studying various kinds of problems in families. So stress, I've looked at conflict, aggression of different kinds. Maybe one topic that we might want to get back to is I've studied parental favoritism and its effect. Um, you know, so, so on kids. But all that led me to a point where I felt I was reading in the media. I was interviewing people for other studies where they would raise issues of estrangement. And I began to say, well, what's going on here? How can this be a problem that's so big? And have had yeah. so little studies done because there'd been very few research studies. So that set me off on a very interesting five-year adventure to mm. some of, of the darkest recesses of family life, but also to some really uh, inspiring stories of how families managed to unfracture themselves after a rift. Yeah, it's strange that there's so little that's been written about this and so little work that's been done about this. You said in this book that there's like maybe around a dozen studies even that exist on this phenomenon, even though it affects millions and millions of people in our country alone. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, that that aspect of it, and I often get asked, oh, why do I think it is? I think in part it's because people have seen estrangement it's just part of a continuum of family problems. So there's okay. conflict, there's people distancing. Uh, but I found the standpoint that my research comes from is that it's really different when in this hyper-connected world, someone says and is able to stick to, to a parent, child, or sibling, I'm done. I never want to speak to you or hear yeah. from you again. That's different. And I think finally research is catching up to that, that there's something different about these situations where someone stonewalls completely from the family or is completely rejected by them. So I think it's a good topic to study. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's going to be, um, there's going to be more stuff coming out. It's needed. Yeah, I'll add to that. Uh, my viewpoint, and it's one I hope that your listeners, you know, will also resonate to. But when it comes to child rearing, when it comes to our relationships and families, I'm an incredibly strong proponent of using scientific evidence whenever you can find it. But when in a case like this, there isn't much good scientific evidence, I think that the yeah. next best thing is to go to the people who've experienced the problem. Um, and ask them for their advice. How did they get through yeah. it? How did they cope with estrangement or or effect a reconciliation? So that was the idea, was to get the people who'd been through this, find out the, what they know about estrangement and reconciliation that the rest of us don't, and try to distill it down so people could use their advice. One of the things that you did is you identified, you call it the pathways to estrangement. You found these six situations uh, that kind of tend to lead to that moment where someone says, I'm done. I don't want to deal with you anymore. And these were on page 31, the long arm of the past, the legacy of divorce, the problematic in-law, money and inheritance, unmet expectations, value and lifestyle differences. Can you talk a little bit about what causes estrangement and 
or anything these moments all kind of uh, have in common or um, what you had noticed about these sort of six situations? Oh, oh, well, that's a great question. And I think it actually, you know, the answer to that question is very relevant to, say, parents of teens or emerging adults, because they yeah, how do we stay about, off these pathways? <laughs> exactly. I mean, really, how can we avoid the pathway, you know? And yeah. so the first one is perhaps the most obvious, that uh, it's what I call the long arm of the path. So it's, you know, a, a yeah. whole legacy of harsh parenting, of really... Um, extreme um, rivalry among siblings or violence, very difficult family situations. Even if things get better after childhood and people become more reasonable, there are some people who can't get over that long arm of the path. And it's also tied to the second factor. As far as the second factor of divorce, that legacy also helps to promote estrangement in later life, especially as children become alienated from the non-custodial parent. So we had very often individuals who there was divorce in childhood, and they had just lost enough contact that it was hard to reconnect. Uh, In terms of more immediate things that go on, and these are clearly more among adults than parents of teens, are one okay. is the, what I call the problematic in-law. Namely, when someone, to put it simply, marries the wrong person from the family's viewpoint, or a spouse or yeah. partner can purposely distance somebody, or they just don't get along. And the other area that really emerges, that really can fracture families, is money. And money may not be the root of all evil, but it is the root of a lot of family estrangements, business uh, problems within a family business, problems over inheritance in particular come out really strongly. And let me relate this too to families with teenagers. One problem with inheritance, when that grandparental generation dies and leaves things to the middle generation, they may say that they're going to divide everything equally. But you can't divide that grandfather yeah. clock that came over from the old country or the chip platter that served right. Thanksgiving turkey or a house or a yeah. business where the only way that you can divide it is to sell it. Those kind of zero-sum problems hit the middle generation. Um, and one thing we saw was when brothers and sisters in middle age have a rift. It very often has ripple effects down to their children and those cousins who could be having a warm and helping relationship also become estranged. So money gets into a lot of this. And honestly, a lot of people wish that they had sought out a mediator early or hadn't made money such a huge issue because they later regretted the rift. One, you know, kind of larger issues that seem to really lead to estrangement One is the overwhelmingly strong expectations we have for our families. Often summed up, children should always love and respect their parents, or my siblings should always have my back. There's a meme around the internet saying that estrangements are disappointments waiting to happen. And that really is true in this case. A lot of people found they were only able to reconcile after they gave up the idea that they were going to expect something the other person couldn't give or change them. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other issue along those lines for parents to really think about with their 
children, especially when they're emerging adults, is this issue of values. Conflicts over core values become very intense, especially between parents and children. And there needs to be a lot of tolerance and flexibility, or parents can rip distance and estrangement from their kids. So that was something that you noticed often. Conflicts over politics, worldview, religion, Mm. how kids want to live their lives. Those can really, uh, you know, snowball into a a full-blown estrangement if parents in particular aren't aware of the need for, for more openness and tolerance. That's huge because it feels like, hey, I've raised my kid in this one way, and this is one of the most important things to us, and now it feels like they're turning their back on that or rejecting um, this value that we thought was, you know, we taught them that this is the most important thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, so how do you, what do you, uh, recommend for parents who feel like you know they're experiencing that where they have a teenager who's sort of rejecting some of the basic things that they like hold dear as a family well there is one message i would really like to get across to parents contemporary parents so people who are now entering middle age who would have teenagers or young adults you know kids and it's a hard message for parents to hear. But here's one thing that we know, not just from my studies, but from 50 or more years of research, and I can sum it up simply. As time goes on, parents care more about this relationship than their children do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a name that people can go ahead and drop at cocktail parties if they want to. It's called <laughs> the intergenerational stake. As a parent, you have more of a stake in your kids than your kids have in you. Now, your kids will love you, and they probably are going to want to be around you and be supportive. But when push comes to shove, all the research shows parents care more. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's if you measure it by items like how important is this relationship to you? Uh, you know, how valuable is it? Hmm. Both parents and kids say they're important, but sure. they're more important to parents. Um, And so the one thing that I want parents to think about is when you draw a line in the sand, uh, when you say that you're going to reject your child or be harsh Mm. to your child because of a lifestyle choice or politics or sexual orientation, you bear a much greater risk that that relationship is going to end. Many of us grew up with this idea that family relationships will always be there and we can behave however we want to around our family members and they'll still be there. If you interview adult children, their view is, I love my parents, I care about them, but I have other things in my life, I have other things going on, and if this relationship is too difficult, I can drop out. So I think parents, when they go down this road of, snowballing tension and anger, they really should stop and ask, do I want this kid to be around when I'm 70? You know, because because I've talked to plenty of people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s whose major regret in life is 
is actions or steps they took and now their kids aren't there um, when they most need them. It sounds a little harsh and and it doesn't mean parents shouldn't stick to their guns, but your child is going to be able to exit this relationship as an adult more easily than you can. And I don't know if that resonates to you, Andy, in terms of, you know, other parenting things, but I think it's something that they ought to think about. Actually, and it's something that I was talking to Dr. Coleman about as well, because he feels like this is a trend that's getting sharper and sharper because this later, newer generations, um, millennials, uh, uh, kids who are teenagers now even, are feeling more and more like there's an emphasis on self-care and setting boundaries for yourself and, you know, uh, individual freedom um, and less on, you know, tradition and loyalty and doing your duty and um, kind of going through the motions, even if you something isn't fulfilling you. Um, and so part of that is because we've that's how we've raised our kids. You know, uh, we keep we, we've told them since they were little, you know, hey, stand up for yourself, you know, take care of yourself. Um, we have raised a, a generation of kids who are getting better and better at doing that and at saying, hey, no, I'm not going to take this anymore. Um, and so that's maybe the other side of the coin here is that we then have to be aware that uh, we we are not excluded from that, you know? Um, you know, you know, I think you're right. I, I think that one thing, um, I think the one thing that we're learning about families is in some ways they are similar to the other kinds of relationships people have in general. And one mm-hmm. thing we know about all human relationships, for example, is people like other people who they're generally similar to, even though we say opposite to track. Most of our friendships are with people who we're pretty similar to in, you know, opinions, values, attitudes, even in personality. And we're careful about those relationships. So, you know, we're tactful and we're civil to other people. One problem that happens in families is sort of anything goes that people start to feel either to their siblings, to their parents, or, you know, or especially their children that they can behave in inappropriate or harsh or angry ways. And that's just the way families are. And I agree. I think that's, you know, to some extent where things have changed. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I think that for parents, especially when their children become adults, to, you know, accept their decisions and try to develop a friendship as well as a parent-child relationship, especially after kids have left the home. I mean, actually, one thing I would say, Andy, that people forget the modal period of parent-child relationships now, by that I mean the longest period of parent-child relationships, is after your kids leave the home. So because of the increased lifespan, most of us are going to have 30 or 40 or even more years of shared lifetime with our kids after Mm. they become adults. So you do have to ask yourself, what do I want that relationship to be like? Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a long-term, lifelong relationship, only a smaller portion of which is while they're here in my house. And I think that considering actions and implications for what life is going to be like after kids leave, you know, building up a bank of positive shared experiences, 
making sure that even if a kid is being really difficult, there's positive things going on. Building up this kind of bank of positive memories and emotions in the midst of all the negatives, if there are these periods in adolescence, which most of us experience, I think uh, that can really help later on. So I just think it's an awareness. It's not being afraid of it or thinking, God, if I discipline my kid, you know, they're never going to want to see me again. But it's thinking about our actions and making sure they're in the child's best interest and humane and so forth. So one thing I found really interesting in your book is this idea of volcanic events. You point out that there are, in all of these stories of the people that you interviewed about estrangement, there's some event that occurred that was the final straw where the person said, I'm done, um, I've got to cut off ties. It's interesting because we talked earlier about the six pathways to estrangement, and the first one was the long arm of the past. And you point out in here that these volcanic events, a, a lot of times they seem like they're not even that big of a deal or it's kind of like, well, how, well, hey, what? Do you cut off communication over that? But really what it seems like is that they're just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, that there's this history of some sort of problem in the relationship. And at some point the pot boils over that creates this, uh, this Rubicon crossing, I guess, there's this moment where you then can't go back. So where do volcanic events come from? What do they look like? And is there any way to sort of avoid them or, or spot them before it's too late? You know, the way that you worded it is really, really accurate. And you're absolutely right. Almost anyone who's talked to a friend who's explaining an estrangement has the moment where they express some surprise at how trivial one specific event seemed to be that started the estrangement. And the majority of people I interviewed can point to this kind of transformational or signature event. In the book, I use the term volcanic event because one of my interviewees worded it that way. He said, imagine a volcano that wants to blow, but its top is plugged up. And then suddenly, for no apparent reason, all the lava begins to gush out the side. He said that that was what it was like for him and his mother, that, you know, there was just this moment. So this is often true. Often it can occur at at a family event where someone is really disappointed. People point to an argument. Um, somebody who's supposed to show up to do something and doesn't, or who shows up and is just awful. So I went to the literature on this, and I actually found that there's a considerable psychological literature on what psychologists call transformational events. Um, And let me give you an example, even though it's going to sound trivial. You may have loved a particular coffee shop. You know, you've loved this little restaurant. And you go in there one day and the person's rude to you and you get kind of sick after what you ate. That that may be an isolated event, but, the, but it transforms your customer relationship with that place. Mm. And you always think about it and you tell your friends about it and you ruminate about it. Well, this is certainly true in human relationships. It also occurs in marriages where things can build up. But there is a transformational event 
that starts things into superpowered action. And I can think of many, I mean, the one case in the book, just to give listeners an example, was a guy had remarried and his stepson was being discussed. And he asked his mother uh, um, whether she planned to help that stepson through college um, as she had his other children. And she said, no, because it was her stepson. They had a violent argument. He, you know, exited the car. He had been visiting her, went home, and they didn't speak for, for, for over five years. Now, you're right, that comes from a long history, but I think we can learn a lot from these events. We're here with Dr. Carl Pillimer talking about why family members sometimes cut off contact with each other and what parents can do to keep the family together. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. One of the most surprising findings of these studies uh, was uh, the degree to which people who had successfully reconciled after a long estrangement, how much they felt it was an engine for their own personal growth. But there were enough people who found that working to reconcile was so positive for them in a psycho-emotional sense, even if the resulting relationship wasn't perfect, that I think, you know, it's, it's something for people in long estrangements, you know, to really look at. I interviewed such a, such a number of people who had experienced a family rift for which they were not responsible, and it cut them off completely from the whole rest of the family, and they became collateral damage. Yes. So many people said, even if you don't get along with your brother, even if you think your sister has wronged you or your mother or father have, as, as long as it's not violent or dangerous or abusive, Stop and think as to what it does to the entire system. So I had children. I, so I spoke to college students who had grown up like brothers and sisters with cousins. And there's a falling out in the parental generation. And everyone takes sides. And they completely lose that contact. So when an adult is on this cascade of events that can lead to an estrangement, it's helpful if somebody steps in and says, Stop and think of what this is going to do to everyone else if no one can get together comfortably at a family gathering again. You know, if your kids aren't going to be able to hang with their kids at the summer place, people don't think about that in the heat of the anger after that, the volcanic event. And everyone I spoke to argued, step back, you know, don't act immediately and don't do irrevocably harmful things because of how many other people it affects. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.